We're going to start Matthew today. I'm going to do some spade work. When you go to plant things, what you normally do is prepare the soil and you get it all ready and you get the right ingredients and you take the plant, put it in. There's a lot of different things that you, you need to do before you just jump in, right? So we're going to uh, at least take one Sunday morning to, to kind of give you an overview of the, this gospel of Matthew. Wow, what an amazing gospel this really is. And some people have asked me, well, why Matthew? And then the next question is, and how long is this going to take? <laughs> I don't know. However, the Lord, however long the Lord wants us to be in the, in the gospel of Matthew, we'll be in the gospel of Matthew. Amen? Is that okay? Can we just enjoy the journey and not worry about trying to get to the end of it all the time? Heaven's sakes. <laughs> it's hilarious. That old man. It's like getting to the Super Bowl without playing any of the games. Doesn't, what, what? Come on. There you go, Chad. There's four things at least, there's many more I'm sure, that have come to my mind and as the Lord has led in this and, and just kind of thinking through it, praying through it, what does the Lord have next after the book of Revelation, which, which was pretty serious, wasn't it? It's heavy, heavy, heavy. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm grateful for it and thankful for uh, being on this side of it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, but boy, a lot of life lessons in there, isn't it? But Matthew, there's, there's a few things here. First of all, I, I really believe, and I say this to myself as much as anybody else, I believe we need to be reminded that Jesus is the king. I, I believe we're living in a day and age where we've gotten all out of whack in many different ways, whether it's about church, whether it's about leadership and how we define it, whether it's about growth and how we expect it, whether it's about what it means to follow God by faith, what it means uh, to actually define the church. and all, I, There's just so many different things that I think, whoa, let's get back to, to center here and let's be reminded that Jesus is the king, that he's in control. It's his kingdom. We get to be a part of it. We're privileged to be a part of it. It's by his grace that we're a part of it. And so we get to serve. We have the privilege of coming to church. We have the privilege of being in the word of God. We have the privilege of serving one another because we serve the king. Jesus is the king. And the Gospel of Matthew is all about that. Secondly, I think just for me personally and as a body, this has just been on my heart, but I believe we need to spend more time reflecting on the Lord's teachings, on the Lord's life, on his specific call individually and even corporately to each and every one of us to follow him in discipleship. What does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to walk with him? What, is, what does a disciple look like? What is it that we're getting caught up into in the things of this world that literally mean utterly nothing? Right? You know, we're living in an amazing day, aren't we, folks? And I gotta tell you, the last couple weeks have been a little disheartening to me in the, in the one sense, because I've watched Christians attacking one another through media. And I find that really sad. We, we've got so many different things that we've got to focus in on, and there's so much that God has for us. And the question is, what, what's getting our attention? What's captivating our, our gaze, so to speak, rather than Christ himself? And, and as we talk about discipleship, what does that mean? What does that look like? And i got to tell you, the Gospel of Matthew has a lot to say about discipleship. And I think we need to spend some time reflecting on that and be reminded of that. I know I do. 
Because in my own life, it's very easy to get caught up in things that just don't matter, folks. We're going to spend eternity in heaven, and I can promise some of the things that we're caught up in, we're not even going to have conversations about in heaven. Thirdly, we need to examine uh, more closely what it means and when somebody becomes a disciple. And I, I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Not only what does it mean to be a disciple, but when does somebody become a disciple? How are we walking with him? What does it look like? How did Jesus walk? And not trying to reduplicate his life, folks, because that's God in us has to transform us so that through us, his life is revealed. That's true Christianity. And when we talk about that and we talk about being disciples, we're talking first and foremost about a decision that day by day we walk with God. And lastly, I think we need to be reminded of his command to make disciples. I, I'm I, honest, I... I'm disheartened by that a little bit in my own life and, and, and what I see going on all around us. How many people are actually making disciples and what does that look like? What does that mean? Because if I'm going to be a disciple, then I need to follow God. And if I'm following God and God's grace and strength in and through me is being accomplished in a transformative way, then I'm going to follow God and what he commanded. And that is to make disciples. And making disciples not only means to equip the body of believers, to equip one another, to be equipped, but it also means, um, in a sense, to evangelize. We, we don't just learn for the sake of our own self. Look how much I know. Folks, that, that's pride. We, we, we need to learn and grow in Christ and uh, develop that relationship with the Lord as he leads us and invites us into a deeper walk with him so that through us, the testimony of grace that we have, the privilege of sharing with other people all around us is something that we're quick to, to let people know about the gospel, the gospel. And ultimately, when I say the gospel, folks, please hear what I'm saying because some people want to turn this into a work the gospel isn't what saves, so to speak. The gospel is God's message about the Lord Jesus Christ who saves. Do you follow the difference? We're not just doing a work for God. We are God's workmanship <laughs> that's being put out so that people can recognize and see who we are in Christ. And we have a testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ himself who saves. And it is the message of the gospel that gives people that opportunity to recognize that they're lost, but that in Christ they have the opportunity to be reconciled, to be saved, to be made right with the Father through the Son. What a beautiful truth. We need to be reminded, I believe, of his command to make disciples and follow him in that. Follow him in that, because God in us and through us will accomplish that. Well, we're taking a journey, and when you begin a journey, you literally begin to look at the way that you're going. You look at the direction of things. You, you perhaps take some time and you think about some of the more, most important things that you want to see along the journey or what you're going to see, depending on where you're going. And so you begin to, you, you spend a little bit of time kind of mapping it out, right? So this morning we're going to begin this journey and we're going to take a little time just to, to map it out. The Gospels are amazing. you got the three synoptic Gospels, the life of Christ, in effect in chronological order, not exactly in chronological order. But you have the Gospel of John, which is really the evangelism uh, Gospel, if you want to think of it that way. And uh, in the midst of it, 
There's different focuses for each gospel. Matthew's book is called The Gospel of the King. The Gospel of the King, and primarily it's written for Jewish uh, readers. And so we have a lot to glean from this, but one of the things that I'm looking forward to is walking through this and, and looking at how, as Jesus was speaking to those who are still under a covenant, well, how do we then take that and use those principles and apply those principles into our lives, being careful to make sure that we understand who his audience is. And secondly, Mark's book is the gospel of the servant, and it was primarily written to Roman readers. Or Luke wrote mainly to the Greeks. He presented Christ as the perfect son of man. And John's appeal is universal. His message is, this is the son of God, believing that you may have life and life in his name. And so there's an appeal to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved. Warren Wearsby put that together. I thought that was good. And I think this is something that's really interesting because uh, Wearsby talks about the gospel of Matthew as, in effect, the first uh, book of the New Testament. Matthew is the one that wrote the book, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But in effect, Matthew, the gospel, introduces a new book, and the book is the New Testament. If a Bible reader were to jump from Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, into Mark or Acts or Romans, he'd be bewildered. Matthew's gospel is the bridge that leads us out of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the gospel of Matthew. Well, the author is Matthew. Surprise, surprise. And actually, by the way, a lot of people have uh, attacked that. A lot of people think, well, Matthew isn't actually the author. And there's all kinds of people that have all kinds of opinions, and they are free to be wrong, but we're going to be right. <laughs> Matthew was a Roman tax collector with the name Levi prior to meeting Christ. Uh, he, interestingly enough, had several references about money in his gospel that uh, none of the other gospels actually had. He talked about the taxes and the, the drachma coins and all that kind of stuff because that's his background. It's fascinating. But when he was converted, he evidently was given the name Matthew, and his name means the gift of God. What a beautiful truth, huh? He goes from this uh, <laughs> pagan, so to speak, background, even though he's Jewish and he's serving the Romans as a tax collector, he was considered a sinner. He was hated by his own people, caught in the middle in so many different ways. And when he comes to know Christ, he's given the name Matthew, meaning the gift of God. He may have written the gospel in Hebrew, and maybe somebody else translated it into Greek. But it's very clear that a Christian Jew appears to be the author of the gospel. And historically, Matthew is the one who is known to do that. And most believe from textual criticism and historical documentation, etc., that Matthew wrote the original in the Greek. And certainly, uh, due to his job, he would have known both Greek and uh, Hebrew with regard to those languages. And so he was certainly capable of doing that. A Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, the first gospel, however, was probably penned by Matthew in Greek and has survived until today. Matthew's Logia, he had written evidently a, a series of statements by Christ uh, in a different text, and they call it the Logia, but that evidently didn't survive, but his gospel did. 
And this was because the latter part of the biblical canon and thus God's word was inspired and preserved by the spirit of God. This is part of the canon of scripture. This is part of uh, the New Testament. This is what God did in preserving this writing, this gospel, so that we could take time to study it and learn and grow through the inspiration and the illumination, ultimately, of the Holy Spirit. So Matthew is considered the writer, and he certainly fits the Jewish Christian indicators along with others from the writing itself. When was the gospel written? Well, certainly it was prior to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. There isn't an exact date. It's very difficult to pinpoint this down. But it was somewhere uh, between 50 and 70 AD. And there's different reasons why people would say that. First of all, the temple is still referred to. It's still functional. So clearly it was before the destruction of the temple. But then there's other things, uh, even like at the end of Matthew, where Matthew takes time to describe some of uh, the false uh, teaching or the false rumors that were spread about in terms of Christ. Christ's resurrection. And the reason some think that he may have done that is because enough time had passed, 10, 15, 20 years from the time of the resurrection, that people needed to be reminded about the fact uh, of the rumors that had been spread about uh, the Lord's resurrection. So it's interesting, probably somewhere between 50 and 70 AD. So we'll just take the middle of the road there. We'll, do, we'll go with 60 AD. And I'm, I feel like I'm good, good ground on that. Dr. George Meisinger said that, so we'll, we'll blame him, okay? Does that sound good? When we get to heaven, we'll find out exactly how it all transpired and exact dates. The audience, Matthew was written to the Jews primarily, but obviously he still included the Gentiles in his overall presentation of Christ as king being the savior for all. His main theme is that of Jesus being the king. And we're going to look at different ways that he presents that throughout the gospel. Interestingly enough, because he's writing to the Jews, he uses more Old Testament references in the gospel of Matthew than in any other of the gospels. More references to the Old Testament, the fulfillment of scripture, uh, the fulfillment of what Christ did at the cross, all the different Old Testament references that Matthew uses. He uses more Old Testament in the Gospel of Matthew than any other Gospel. Some interesting moments here, and there's many of them. i just give you a few here, but Mark may have been written prior to Matthew and Luke. No one knows for sure. And so Matthew and Luke may have looked at the book of Mark and there was other sources perhaps available at the time that they would have used in order to compile their Gospels. That could be the case. Nobody knows absolutely for sure. Some believe it's the other way around. Some believe that Mark looked at Matthew and Luke and just compiled some things and put it together. And he talked with Peter, and Peter was a firsthand witness. And as a result, he was able to put together some of the stories, etc. Either way, uh, all three Gospels are inspired. They are inerrant. They are infallible. They are the Word of God. Uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is what inspired these gospels for us. They are part of canon. They're part of the New Testament. Let me give you a basic outline. We're going to follow this over the next 20 years. The first is the introduction of the king. Introduction of the king. Then we have teachings from the king. We have the authority of the king. We have the dismissal of the king's authority. We have the cultivation of the king's disciples. We have rejection of the king's offer. And last but certainly not least, we have the validation of the king's life. Think about that. How? Through the resurrection. Through what he did for us at the cross and the fact that death could not 
hold him down. Just as a framework, kind of as we start this journey and look at certain things, one of the things that's going to jump out at you, and we're going to look at the genealogy starting next week, but the genealogy given here is uh, by Matthew, the, the right to be the king. Jesus had the right to be the king. Matthew and, and Luke both have genealogies. Matthew's genealogy is really through Joseph and Joseph adopting Jesus Christ as his son. And therefore, he had the legal right to be the king because Joseph could be traced all the way back to David, etc. So it establishes the right for the Lord to rule. Mary's genealogy is directly related to David, and as a result, uh, in his humanity, Jesus was clearly related physically to King David, and therefore he fulfills the Davidic covenant. We also have the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant as well, because Matthew starts back with Abraham and begins to track this to David and then on to Joseph. And Joseph adopting the Lord Jesus Christ shows that he absolutely not only has the right to rule because of being related to King David and adopted, but also because he goes all the way back to Abraham. And as a result, he's the fulfillment of both the Abrahamic covenant as well as the Davidic covenant. Well, in his teaching, in his teaching, we see the rule of the king. And, and there's so much, uh, so much teaching that the Lord did and, and in order to correct and help people really focus in on what it is uh, that he is about. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth so that we could know God, that we could understand who he is that we would have a better understanding and recognition of the Father because if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ, we wouldn't really have an understanding of the Father at all. We know that he's an all-powerful God. We know that from Romans because we can see creation and we know that there's a designer and somebody has put it into existence and created it. We know that, but we wouldn't necessarily know the heart of God, the Lord Jesus Christ and his desire to serve him. We wouldn't understand the Father. The Lord has made that very clear and he does so in so many ways through his teaching. There's so many kingdom principles that you can look at, and I'm just going to give you a smattering of them. But Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is considered to be the greatest sermon ever taught. The focus is on the heart. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or Matthew chapter 6, these are verses I'm sure that you're familiar with. They're verses that have meant a lot to myself as well as to believers throughout the world in so many different ways. But Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? How many of y'all are familiar with those passages? Amen. They mean a lot to us because they're spoken of the Lord. They show the heart of the king. The teaching that reflects kingdom principles. Or in Matthew chapter 7 where he finishes this tremendous sermon in verses 28 and 29 says, Jesus had finished these words. The crowds were amazed at his teaching for because he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The authority of the king, the teaching of the king, having authority in what he had to say. 
speaking to the heart of the issues, what his kingdom really is all about and what it stands for. What a beautiful truth. So not only kingdom principles, but his teaching certainly focuses on God's character. And I love this because, you know, we sang it earlier, but when we go through difficult times, what is it that keeps us uh, in line? What is it that keeps us uh, above water? And I would suggest to you it's the character of God. That even though we don't understand the storm, even though we don't understand the circumstances, we don't know why God's allowed certain things. We understand the heart of our king. We know that he's good. We know that he's love. We understand his character. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30, you all know this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about that. What a beautiful truth about God. What a beautiful picture we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, the king who humbled himself to come to this earth and to walk in such a way that we have an understanding even more so of his character. But Matthew has a lot to say about discipleship as well. Now, I'm sure you know this, Matthew 10, verses 37 and following, he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will what? Find it. Wow, the picture of discipleship. What does it mean for a believer to be invited into a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ where we recognize uh, that Christ is everything to forsake all other than Christ himself? That our love for the Lord causes our love for everything else to pale in comparison. Well, there's not only his teachings, but there's also his life. We get to examine his life, the heart of the king. My goodness, how many miracles did he perform? In fact, Gospel of John, John says, my goodness, there wouldn't be enough room in the whole world if we tried to fill it up and write about everything that he did. And he's obviously using hyperbole there, but he's referring to something very important, and that is that Jesus, in everything that he did, it was, in effect, miraculous. It was astonishing to watch the Lord and how he interacted with people and how he cared for people, how he was compassionate towards people. He went against the grain of the day in so many different ways. The many miracles that he performed in taking care of the sick, those who had leprosy, etc. In Matthew 15, 30, it was interesting because they, they would come to him. These crowds would come to him. It says, large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. Isn't that beautiful? Spiritually speaking, we're all there. Spiritually speaking, that just described every one of us. Rejected outcasts. And yet, we can come to the Lord. And what does he do? He doesn't reject us. He welcomes us in. And he is able to heal us because of his life. We get to see his heart in action. We get to see the life of Christ. His compassion for the people. And there's many, many different passages on this, but right before he fed the 5,000, in Matthew 14, 14, it says this, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. 
When's the last time you saw somebody and you recognized that they were enslaved in sin and you felt compassion for them? That God in you stirred you to the point where you sensed something was wrong and there was a deep compassion for that individual. See, the heart of the Lord, God is always working in that way. He, his heart is for those who are the outcasts. He's the physician who came to heal the sick. And the people that don't think that they need a physician, well, he wasn't going to necessarily bother with that too much. Well, his sacrifice, we get to see his sacrifice. And we get to see the love of the king. His path to the cross. Folks, you know, that, that's an amazing truth. Because when we talk about the cross, I don't know if you've ever read doctor's reports on this. I don't know if you've ever really studied what it is that an individual went through at the cross, and particularly the Lord Jesus Christ with the scourgings that he went through and all the different things, the beating, the mocking, the crown of thorns, the loss of uh, blood and fluid within his system. I mean, it's indescribable. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and he had a specific task, and that was to go to the cross. And he knew that, and he walked in that. In Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Isn't that amazing? He knew exactly why he had come. He knew exactly what he was headed towards. He knew exactly why. And he knew that he was the only one that could accomplish that because he's the perfect lamb of God. Thank God that he did that. Amen? Thank the Lord that he chose to come anyway, and he chose to go to the cross. Well, there's his prophetic suffering, and we see that in Matthew 17 and 22 and following. While they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved, speaking of his disciples. Or in Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19, where he says to them, to the disciples, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. He understood the whole plan. He knew prophecy. He knew that he had come in fulfillment of it. He was absolutely in control of time. He was in control of everything that was going on. And he chose to enter into it and to fulfill the plan of salvation that the Father had come up with. Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. Such an interesting Verse. He says, he went away again a second time, talking about his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, and prayed, saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Think about that. What do we have in the picture of the life of Christ? We see his character. We get to learn about his teaching, the heart of God and who he is. We get to see his compassion. We understand that he came in order to go to the cross. But what we see is somebody who was yielded to the Father in everything. Absolutely entrusting his own life to the Father. And so he gives us a picture of what discipleship literally looks like, which is that we come before the Lord and absolutely entrust our lives to him, no matter what, no matter what the cost may be. Well, we have his resurrection. We have the direction that he gives to his disciples. 
In Matthew chapter 28, verse 6, we have the whole resurrection moment. And uh, it's beautiful because an angel sent and shares this. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. So we have the resurrection. We have hope. We have a certainty with regard to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And clearly, at the very end of Matthew, we're given a directive. We're given a command. Right? Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the idea of making disciples. He says, go therefore, and it's as you're going. Right? Make disciples. There's the command of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So throughout the entire gospel of Matthew, we see this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're given uh, substantive reasons as to why he has the right to be the ruler, right to be the king, why he is the king. We see his heart. We see his teaching. We see his compassion. We see that he came to to fulfill prophecy, to go to the cross in order to provide salvation. We see his resurrection, but we also are given a command to make disciples. Craig Blomberg, in his commentary on Matthew, says this, Matthew's gospel concludes with the ringing call for believers to evangelize all the nations. Based on the absolute universal and divine sovereignty of Jesus, thus assuming that no other religion adequately satisfies the deepest of human needs, either for this life or the life to come. Think about that. That's absolutely dead on. We, we have an answer. And I think my concern in the midst of our day and in our age and even in my own life is are we satisfied? Are we satisfied? We think this is all? Or are we going to grow deeper in Christ? Are we going to absolutely forsake everything and just walk with God and trust him in the midst of it? Again, I just want to encourage you. We need to be reminded that Jesus is our king. He's the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, I want to walk in such a way that I get to not only grow in Christ and know him more, but be utilized by him as effectively as he's able to utilize me in whatever he chooses to do in and through my life. Is, is that your prayer? Is that your heart this morning? We, we serve a great king. And I can promise one day when we get to heaven, one day when we're standing at the, uh, at the judgment seat for believers, where we have the opportunity of being rewarded, we will never regret saying yes to the Lord in this life, ever. We will never regret the difficulties in this life as we get to experience God, as we get to grow in Christ, as we're transformed by the Lord, and as we get to experience the Lord pouring his life through us. We will never regret that. What we will regret is getting caught up in the things of the world. We will regret that. Thank God that'll burn. Amen? I'm glad for that truth because I don't want to have to ever think about it again. We need to be reminded that Jesus is the king. We need to spend time reflecting on his life, his teachings, his call to each and every one of us of discipleship. And we need to examine more closely what it means to actually be a disciple of Christ. And lastly, we need to be reminded of his command to make disciples. Do you realize every one of us are commanded that? 
Every one of us, individually. You don't have to wait for me to come up with some plan in order for you to go walk with God. Isn't that good? I mean, aren't you glad about that? Because you may be waiting a long time for him. (laughs) We get to follow God. We get to experience him. Every one of us have the privilege of walking with the Lord day by day and experiencing his life and his power and his grace, his love. And God desires that our lives are so yielded to him that as he transforms us internally, that his love is expressed through us externally so that others who don't have hope, don't know where they're going, they don't have purpose, can see that Jesus Christ really is alive, that he really does work in somebody's life, and that he really has the power to change us so that they too can have hope and assurance of heaven forever and ever, to be with our Lord forever and ever. Folks, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what God's doing in your life. This is some spade work. These are just some 30,000 foot views of this gospel. But I wanna encourage you, take time to read this gospel over and over and over again. Take time to spend time with the Lord in this gospel. Ask the Lord to teach you and to reveal himself to you afresh in the midst of this study. See, when we talk about starting a new journey, We're just continuing on. It's just a different chapter, so to speak. But as we begin this Gospel of Matthew, understand something. What we're teaching here is impactful with regard to eternity. And my prayer is that we don't just look at it as another checklist. Well, we got through the Gospel of Matthew. What's next? You're going to go into the Old Testament? You're going to do? No, no. We experience God along the way. And in the midst of it, We're transformed. In the midst of it, we experience the Lord. In the midst of it, we are changed dramatically, so much so that it impacts our eternity. And folks, my prayer is that we would take time with the Lord in the midst of this study to just enjoy the journey with him. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? How are you doing this week? How are you doing this week? What's God allowed in your life? It's been filtered through his hands in order for you to experience him. And do you look at it that way? Do you recognize his sovereignty? Do you recognize his goodness? How are you doing in your walk with the Lord and your relationship with him? Have you gotten caught up in the things of this world and stuff that really doesn't matter? You need to come back and just be reminded that the Lord is good and he's good all the time, that the Lord loves, that he's kind, that he's compassionate. He's constantly inviting us into joining him in what he alone is able to do. How are you walking with the Lord day by day? How are you rejoicing in the Lord day by day? As we start this tremendous gospel and we start studying it and learning from the Lord in the midst of it, would you take a moment and just ask the Lord to do a work in your heart, in my heart, in the heart and the soul of this church body? Would you just take a moment and perhaps lift up some people that you know don't know the Lord? They don't have hope. Maybe they need to hear about the hope 
of Christ, the gospel, the good news. As we sang earlier, we just walking in such a way that we're trusting and obeying. We're yielding to what it is that God has for us, day by day, moment by moment. And as a result of that, we have all the different aspects of who Christ is and experiencing Him. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How are we walking with the Lord? How are we saying yes to Him? How are we experiencing Him day by day? Father, we come before you this morning. I thank you for each one that's here. And I thank you for this time that as we look at this gospel, this good news message from Matthew and all the different stories and the different teachings, being able to look at your life and recognize how you lived and how you gave your life so freely and fully, how you trusted the Father, how you were empowered by the Spirit, all the different aspects of it. Lord, would you teach us, would you remind us afresh of how great you truly are? Would you cultivate our hearts so that we'd be willing to follow you no matter what? We wouldn't walk in fear, but we'd walk in faith. We would have eternity in mind with all that we do, and we would just enjoy you on the journey. Lord, I thank you for this church body. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your grace. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. Use it in each and every one of our lives. We'll give you the glory and the honor because you are richly deserving of it. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Christ. Go read Matthew.